From Glendale, California, this is Benstown VoiceOver Stories. Conversations with people from in front of and behind the mic in the worlds of voiceover, radio imaging, and podcasting. Hosted by Lauren Kling. On this episode of Benstown VoiceOver Stories, I chat with radio and voice actor Rob Reed. Rob's done everything in radio, from PD and GM to partner owner. From radio announcer to radio imaging, documentary and corporate narrations, and TV promos. His deep voice has been described as a Sam Elliott swag and a bare-knuckle badassery. Let's take a listen to some of his work. Wild Rose Casino and Resort has your chance to win this beast in purple. If they don't hear you coming... They'll see ya. It's daybreak in Texas, and we've got a hankering for coffee and country. I'll play something country. 99.5, The Wolf. The best thing about a good forecast is when it actually comes true. And on this day, conditions are perfect. Give me a second, I'm trying to select the appropriate weapon. Take back your bushels with NEMA Strike technology. Strike where nematodes attack. On this episode of Benstown VoiceOver Stories, I chat with Rob about growing up on dairy farms around the U.S., dreaming of one day being a sports announcer, voicing radio commercials for his mother's fabric store starting at age 12, going through a self-help metamorphosis as he entered his 50s, how a mentor is wiser but not always older, and how two huge health scares led to two huge discoveries. But we start the conversation with Rob explaining what might be the most beautiful surroundings one can possibly look at from inside a 4x4 recording booth. Welcome, Rob. Thank you very much. Uh, Pleasure to be here. And by being here... You're actually not here in uh, Los Angeles. Tell everyone where you're at. I am inside a four by four booth, and it's dark and <laughs> scary. I'm actually I'm about 900 miles north of LA right now, in the uh, Pacific Redwoods, which is one of the most beautiful places on Earth. So I'm blessed. Very nice. And uh, you might have heard a drop a moment ago. We might hear those throughout our interview because <laughs> you told me what your up and download speeds are. What are what are the top speeds in Crescent City these days? <laughs> well, in Crescent City, they, they are much better than I am in Klamath. I live in a very, even a smaller place than Crescent <laughs> City in Klamath. So my incredibly fast download speeds, this is not a testimonial for my internet provider uh but i get about four megabits per second down and maybe 1.4 up if we're lucky wow i might have an old like 33 baud modem i might send you just to help uh triple your (laughs) speed rob (laughs) now your bio says that you grew up on dairy farms around around the country ohio central texas northern california not knowing the the life uh, living on a farm, was that something where your parents move because that's where the work is or what changes where a family has to move around the country like that? Well, you know, most dairy farmers do not move at all. And um, that that was an interesting situation for us. My dad, when I was born, um, the farm that my dad had, he owned, 
with his brother, and um, they they milked uh, about sixty about sixty cows on a daily basis, twice a day, uh, every day. Um, so a lot like radio, you know, you're you're always around the farm. Mm-hmm. And um, in 1977, we went through one of the worst blizzards in history. Up until a few years ago, it was the worst in in history in the Northeast. And when when we went through that, my dad said, "That is it. I'm not milking cows ever again in Ohio." And so he did some looking and ended up managing. Uh, from there, he went on to manage some rather large operations where they milked uh, between a thousand and twelve hundred head of cattle. So um, that that kind of precipitated the next two moves. And then, of course, I was in radio by by the time I pretty much got out of high school, and and that's how. Everything fell into place there. Right. Although at age 12, you were voicing uh, commercials for your mother's fabric store? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I I was, you know, I knew that that's what I wanted to do all of my life. That's all I wanted to do. And um, in fact, I had a a tape recorder that I would sit in in my mother's closet in her, in her, not in her laundry room, in her sofa. Room. I had a tape recorder, and I would do play-by-play of of an imaginary basketball game that was going on. Um, that's kind of how I got started. And then, so by the time she opened her fabric store, yeah, the, she wanted to re- she wanted to advertise on radio. She knew the power of the medium, and uh, she said, "The only way I'm buying time though on the radio is if my son can do the spot." So that was the beginning. <laughs> so was this kind of a? I mean. Have you heard them? Do you still have copies of those? Oh, I wish I did. Although I have copies of some of my original air work when I was about 22, and I'd rather not hear that. So maybe <laughs> maybe not, man. Wow. <laughs> That's funny. So are we talking about to the early, early days? Because uh, your bio says that you landed your fir- first full-time gig doing afternoons at K100. Yeah. Yeah, uh, KRFD AM and FM. <laughs> wow, what was the uh, what was the wattage? It was a hundred thousand watt, uh, and, and it sat up on a butte in Butte County, uh, North uh, Northern California, and so it could be heard for miles. So we at one point we targeted Chico, which was about an hour away right. and uh, to the north, and then uh, later we decided that we wanted to be a Sacramento station, and so we uh, we targeted uh, you know to the south uh, about another hour. So yeah, that it was a flame throwing signal and still is, although I believe it's broadcasting Spanish programming these days. Got it. And so were you having to do, was it a kind of the kind of operation where you're in a shack or a house, you're having to uh, take readings all the time and uh, all those kind of. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) actually, uh, actually that operation, there had been a really bad flood um, a number of years before I, I went to work at the radio station. And so it was, there was a huge levee that they had built alongside the river uh, that had that had gotten out, and so we were in a cinder block two story building, um, and yeah, all the uh, you know we had readings to take uh, remotely, of course, right. from there, and uh, yeah, so yeah, it was <laughs> it was that kind of deal. And that was your first gig doing afternoons. Now, were your parents settled in, or was there a, a had you already moved out 
Oh, yeah. My wife and I actually, we got married when um, a week before my 19th birthday. So, wow. Uh, she and I had were already out on our own. Uh, my parents were had gone back to Texas. As a matter of fact, and so we we were we didn't follow shortly thereafter. I mean, we went to Texas soon after uh, that that gig, but uh, yeah, in fact, I was working there when our when our oldest child was born. So that was uh, that was a treat. Got it. And so you had mentioned to me you're actually moving back to Texas. You've been in Crescent City, and you're moving. It seems like you always find your way back to Texas. What is it about the state? I don't know. You know, there's uh, there's such a thing as the, as Texas pride, I guess. And and I'm not a native Texan, uh, although we moved there when I was 11 years old. So it's it's just always been home. But uh, I think the drive that we have made between the state of California and the state of Texas, I actually, man, I've lost count on how many times we've done it. Um, but it's been, you know, we've been here for about six years. And so going back um, is 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 going to be a treat. It always is when we head back home. Right. Wow. It sounds. It's always fascinating when somebody picks up life and moves around a lot. You, you know, uh, you wonder what's the story behind that, and what draws somebody back to the same place or the same city or state all the time. Yeah, for us, it's, it's always been family that that, that has been there. Um, in my radio career, I don't think that mar- you know the strive to be in a in a bigger market constantly was the thing that drove our moves, like it is with a lot of people. Uh, for us, it was it was family because her family lives here, and all of my family is basically based in Texas these days. So you know, five or six years here and five or six years there. Happy wife, happy life, right? So <laughs> right. that's that has always been one kind of one of the things that has uh, that has I don't want to say controlled our life, but I guess that's really true. Yeah, or yeah, kind of led it in in a direction. Yeah, absolutely, and and of course, you know, I I went to high school in both places, and so there's a natural there's a natural home in in both spots for us. Um, no matter how how long it is in between <laughs> in between moves right. it's just like going back home again usually got it so when you were a kid and all you wanted to do was be on radio i think there was a sportscaster out of cleveland out of wwe that you used to listen to and kind of inspired you to want to do the same thing yeah, Joe Tate, who uh, uh, was the voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers and and also the Indians, uh, so he did both in in those days. And um, yeah, I, I mean, I was a lot like a lot of kids that would take the transistor radio, you know, uh, to bed with you, especially if you were a, a guy and you loved sports. Uh, I can't. <laughs> I, I always had it on, whether it was Cavaliers or Indians. Um, and so, yeah, that, um, always wanted to be able to get to meet him, but I never did. Uh, I don't think he's still broadcasting, but he was, he was a big idol in my life. Right. And then you finally got to do your own sports, uh, casting with, uh, was it a class A Midwest league? Is that where you first started? Yeah, we um, that was in between the moves between Texas and California. 
Uh, I took a job in Clinton, Iowa, which uh, was home to one of the Midwest League teams, the uh, Clinton Lumber Kings. And uh, at the time, they were a Padres affiliate. Uh, a little connection back to mm. where you guys you guys were uh, big with the Padres. Yeah, we were a Padres affiliate, low A ball, and so that was uh, that was a treat for a whole season. We got to do that, and um, that was like fulfilling a lifelong dream for sure. Wow, were you, were you nervous? Did you did you sleep the night before? <laughs> well, I had done you know I had done high school ball for many many uh years up to that point and so no i i was i was really a lot more comfortable than i thought i would be um it, it was just kind of you know like riding a bicycle when when you go to that bigger level it's just it's the same right it's just a little bit <laughs> a little bit different you've been in radio you started in radio uh you were a pd at a couple stations uh on air and management and then you even owned your own broadcasting company for a while yeah i was uh i was lucky enough to to be part of a, a group there were four of us that owned uh part of one station and then one of those partners i was also i had worked with and for for many many years and so um i was also part owner in in that operation as well for a short time um is it true that you played <laughs> You played a tennis pro, Tommy, the tennis pro, and you lost 12 games to one? <laughs> Where did you dig that up? <laughs> Tell me about that one win. What was the feeling after you won? It was it, it was exhilarating, man. It was like <laughs> uh, it was like eating zebra cakes. <laughs> uh yeah. You know, I can't even remember how all of that transpired, but uh yeah, that that one victory was Huge, right? Huge. That was uh, that was back when you were known as the robber at uh, KMIL. Yeah, yeah. Right. So uh, you know, yeah. it, it always makes me think: what is the relationship between the broadcaster and the audience? What is your your goal in the morning besides just speaking uh, weather, traffic, announcing the upcoming song? Yeah, for me, I think I think it was uh, it kind of boiled down to the relationship that I had with one of my employers. Uh, in fact, he owned KMIL. He was uh, he he owned it for many many years, and it wasn't just it wasn't just as you said, reading the the weather and the and the temp and uh, doing all of those things. It was it was not even being a broadcaster. I always I always compared it to being a communicator or a or a storyteller. Um, and those things that, that can relate to the listeners. And I think, um, I think when you're able to have that one-on-one -on -one relationship with the listener, um, you've achieved the true goal of, of what we do in, in that medium. Uh, you know, obviously we're there for information and, and emergency info, you know, and, and along those lines, but as a public trustee, but I think ultimately that relationship that we now have so much more a handle on with social media being part of the whole mix. But uh, in the morning, you're just, you have that one-on-one -on -one relationship, which was always a, a magical thing to me. Yeah. Jumping from radio to voiceover, uh, you have been described as the David Putty or Patrick Warburton 
of radio imaging. Um, you definitely have a, a deep voice. It's a you know a Sam a Sam Elliott kind of swagger in there. But what I remember from Putty and Seinfeld is his emotions were the same between anger, happiness, or whatever attitude he has. But listening to uh, samples of your work, there's always a feeling behind it. And so I wanted you to talk about. Yeah. I wanted you to talk about that the emotions that you had in radio and how those worked or how you had to alter them when you went into doing voiceover work. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great uh, a great question, especially to talk about some of the um, the different inspirations or uh, almost a subtext of how you are as depending on the copy that you're reading. Right. So um, to be able to take that emotion of what it feels like to be really uh, inspired or, um, for instance, this morning I was I was recording an audition for a job that was all about a particular arrow for archery. And so I was able to to basically take the subtext of. How, how would it feel to be there just about to draw back the bow on your prey and you're describing the weapon that, that you're about to fire, right? Mm-hmm. So being able to take that emotion, I think, is, is key for, for any voice actor. Um, and, and that wide, I think, I think that's why we do so much better when, as we get older because we have we actually have those experiences those life experiences to draw from and say okay so i can remember when i did this or or i had this experience or what it felt like to be this guy in this situation and and if we can draw from that as a subtext to our character in whatever we're reading for whether it's a commercial or it's some sort of narration i think that's uh, that's a big thing to be able to do that it is and it's it's Interesting when when voiceover seems to a lot of people on the outside as, oh, I'm going to go do voiceover. I can do either I can do funny voices or I can read some <laughs> words. But what you just described is is well, well, one being a human, but also being an actor, being knowing how to take that humanity and craft it towards somebody's story that they wrote for you. Yeah, and, and you know, the, the other part of that, I think that a lot of us that come from radio, I think sometimes we struggle a little bit more than people that don't come from a radio background. Um, I, I just remember when Chad Letts, a very, very dear friend of mine, we worked together in radio about 15 years ago, and he was the guy that really pushed me to 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 uh, the passion of voiceover. And and I think that when you um, when you take a look at at that whole situation, I, I remember he he called me the first time and he said, "You know what, Rob? You need to get into voiceover." <clears throat> and as I started to research it a little bit, I joined Voice One Two Three and and I decided to hire a voiceover coach. And I remember thinking at the time I sent her my it was really my radio production air check and it wasn't a voiceover demo, really. And as she listened to it, I thought, as I sent it off, oh, wow, I'm, I'm just going to knock this lady's socks off. She's going to call an agent. And the next thing you know, I'm just going to be rolling in the world of voiceover. <laughs> and uh, that's not how it works. And it, 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 it was a long, arduous process. 
with lots of coaching and lots of uh, sweat and tears before I was able to book my first job, you know? So th- it's, a, it's a bigger transition. Well, maybe it goes easier for some people. I'm a little thick sometimes, <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, it's, a lot, it's a lot more difficult than people think that are making that transition. Right. But, but, um, now you had, you had, uh, said something about Chad. You said most times mentors are people that are older than you that you look up to, but with Chad, it was totally the opposite. Can you talk about? Yeah. Well, I, I had been in radio for a number of years and Chad had, uh, had worked there in high school, I think, and then graduated from college and came back home. And so he was considerably younger than me. Um, but is uh, just a, a, a stellar voice actor, and I, I have I constantly learned from him over and over again. So I think that's that's a really cool relationship, especially when you're good friends, to be able to uh, to draw from that. And the age factor, the experience factor, has absolutely nothing to do with it in the grand scheme of of what we do every day. It, yeah, it's amazing because you think of mentors as older and wiser. Right. Yeah. And, um, and and the thing about the voiceover world is certain people just really click. And, and the um, one of the greatest abilities and, and the greatest talents to be able to have in our business is being able to connect with the copy, uh, again, no matter the genre, but being able to connect and, and be believable um, to the listener or the viewer. Um, is is key, and to be able to learn from someone that's you know ten, fifteen years younger than than you are, is uh, it's a really cool relationship. Yeah, definitely. Now, with your voice, you have a, ver- a very particular type of voice, which lends itself to things that you might think of as rugged or blue collar or action oriented. What, do you think that those terms? limit you or is that the genre you said no that's what i love that's what i want to do well you know it, it kind of found me as far as as far as that goes um you know originally what what drew me into voiceover was radio imaging which i've i'm doing for several stations around the country and i enjoy that immensely and being a, a library voice for benstown is is one of my favorite things um, but as, as things progressed, I just realized that all of a sudden I was, um, not really typecast for those kinds of jobs, but they just kind of started falling in line. And, um, you know, I think that's, I also think that we kind of, we kind of grow in those areas, right? Um, so you may want a certain thing in the voiceover world and other things find you and, and kind of uh, adopt you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's. But that's I hope true. that's not. I, I I hope that doesn't limit me. You know, because there are many many different things that I'd like to be able to do in our business. What are some things that you'd like to do though you haven't explored yet? Uh, well, you know, documentaries and docu series. I think is is a, a field of narration that I'm pursuing heavily right now. Um, recently worked, spent about a year with, uh, with a very talented coach that, uh, that, have, that I've learned a lot from. 
Um, that's just a that's a, a harder field to get into uh, on that brand of narration than it, it is for for example you know commercials or e learning or explainer videos. So um, that's a that's that's a club that I definitely want to be a part of though. Yeah, it's there's definitely some of those voices that you grew up listening to. For me, it's always been Alan Alda on the. Um, uh, it wasn't Nova. What was it? Uh, like American Scientific or something on PBS. Mm-hmm. Have you done any animation work? Have you stretched out any acting muscles in that vein? Yeah. Um, actually, only one. Uh, a, a gentleman found, uh, actually, a team of writers found me online and uh, invited me to come to, uh, to LA to audition. And at the moment, I'm living in Northern California at the complete opposite end of the state. So it was, uh, it's like a 15-hour drive, if I'm going to drive. Um, and my wife and I just, we decided to take off a couple of days and, and come to L.A. and, and audition for the uh, part. And basically what, uh, there had been a studio that gave these guys like a kind of a development budget uh, because they wanted to, they wanted to develop an animation series, and uh, so they went out and they they did, and uh, they found me, and and I ended up uh, being cast as one of the lead roles in in an anim. It was a really an adult animated uh, series. We did the pilot, and I'm not really sure where that project is uh, <laughs> these days. It was about five years ago. And I'm told that sometimes those can resurface out of nowhere years later. So, right. uh, you know, I keep my fingers crossed on that one, and and maybe hopefully someday that that would come back around. I would love to do more of that. Right. Though, yeah. Have there been any surprises for you in your career? Either a job that uh, you saw as one way that turned out another. Hmm. Um. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, you always hear these, uh, you hear stories of people that that uh, came across a particular job or a particular project or even a particular client that was uh, just kind of a, a gold mine, you might say. Um, and uh, last year, working on one of the pay-to-play sites, um, I auditioned for what what was an anthem job, and it was a it was a nice it was a nice gig, like uh, somewhere in the fourteen hundred dollar range. And as I sent it in, the producer contacted me back and said, "Hey, we've got uh, ten or eleven more of these. <laughs> Would you mind if we sent them to you all at once?" Um, and so <laughs> that was that was certainly a pleasant surprise that went you know the way of the good. Um, and so, you know, those things really happen to, to a lot of us. Um, so, you know, if you're, if you're an aspiring, uh, voice artist, you never know when those are going to come. And, you know, that's, that's one of the other interesting parts about our jobs is in the many auditions that you do over the course of the day, you never know who's listening. <laughs> right so, and the re- fun and, yeah and it's relationships and i think you've talked about that in some of the articles i've read about you how important you uh relationships are so talk about that yeah i and and relationships uh, i guess that comes in a lot of different forms so 
For about 25 years of my radio career, I spent on the air and as a programmer. And when uh, my wife and I moved here to Northern California six years ago, there were no openings at the local radio station um, where her family lives. And so uh, no openings in programming. They did have a sales opening. And so I took the sales job. Um, they asked if I could sell. I said, sure, I can sell <laughs> because it's what we do, right? right. Uh, uh, even if we're on the air every day, we're, we're, we're selling things, really. We're selling songs, we're selling stories, we're selling products for our, for our advertisers. And so um, it was a natural progression, and, and I think it was a good transition for me to go from radio to my own voiceover business to learn how to deal in, in relationships with, with clients. And I think... You know, um, when you become, I had so many clients that that it had become a um, a situation where you you ultimately would get to a point where they would ask your advice before they even bought or even looked at other types of media advertising. Um, so I think once you reach that, you become an asset to that that company or or that family that owns the business or whatever the case is. And I think for me, that's always been uh, key in my in my voiceover business as well is to reach that part of the relationship where you're viewed as not just somebody that's coming to do this service for you as as well as another vendor. It's not like you know the the produce guy that comes every uh, every two or three days. You become an active part of their family and their decision making process. And I think once you do that, that's the ultimate pinnacle of a relationship between you and somebody that you do business with. Right. Uh, you mentioned that you did that animated pilot and you thought perhaps it might come back around sometime. I just had a couple of projects come back around after a couple of years. And these are relationships that we set out weeks, months, years ago. Yeah, absolutely. And um, sometimes those those take a little bit of time. Uh, maybe the timing isn't right. You think about uh, relationships you've had in your lifetime with other people, uh, whether they were business relationships or not. Um, you know, you always I always love hearing those stories about a couple that that were uh, dating in high school and they lost track of each other, and, but they always thought about each other. And then uh, through uh, circumstances, they end up back in each other's lives in their 50s or 60s. And, and so the timing is not always right. And so I think it's always great to keep an open mind about that kind of thing, too, and foster those relationships. Right. I want to also ask you about clients because as voice actors, we're our own bosses. We work for ourselves and we have the power of the pen and the voice. So have you set yourself a limit to when you'll say no or no, but here's how I can make this service work for you? You know, I, I as as you brought that up, I'm not really sure that I've I've been in an opportunity or been in a situation where I've said no. Uh, but I'm sure I have. Uh, you know, sometimes you look back over the, you, you start filing back through your audio files on your computer and, and you totally forget about some things that maybe you should have followed up with, with, uh, with a particular client. I always try to make sure that that doesn't happen, but then that would jog your memory on, on something that you might have said no to. I think it's, you know, it's kind of like uh, anything else. 
sometimes you have to you have to do things to remind the client of exactly what your value is, mm. um, and that may be and that may be in the way of of service. I mean, one of the big things that I strive to do with my clients is to make sure that they don't have to worry about this because they know that I'm going to turn their project around um, usually much faster than I think I will. And, and, and they're not going to have to worry about it. They're going to, they're going to say, well, I sent it off to Rob and he's going to take care of it. I don't have to worry about it anymore. So that's, that's where I like to be in my relationships with my clients is, um, I've always said this, even, even as a salesperson, um, you always want to under promise and over deliver. And I think ultimately that's what creates those key relationships with your clients that, that continue to come back and use you over and over again. And that's the part I love. I love being able to be a, a, a problem solver for my clients. Right. Now, does that ever cause an issue with your family as far as I can't do something with you because I need to do this? Or we had you had something planned that you had to postpone or cancel? Well, I think, you know, over the, uh, over the course of my career being in radio, my wife always... She was just awesome in the way that she realizes that um, she's, <laughs> this sounds terrible, but she always realized that she was my second wife and that at the the radio station always came first, which looking back, I'm, I'm sorry to say that that's the way it was, but I think that uh, my family completely understands where I am as far as, as serving my my clients um and so they're very understanding and and when of course there are situations too when you realize that you're not going to bring that up you're just going to make it work um (laughs) yes and and that and that may require you to reschedule something with your client (laughs) (laughs) yes i get it but you know what we're all on our own paths as kids as teens growing up in our young age and we meet people in our lives and if it's a a spouse or or a partner we hope they'll join us on our journey and of course our journey's altered by them but i don't think it it serves us to end our journey to serve somebody else's journey yeah and along those lines you know i i also I was reminded a couple of years ago by a friend of mine, uh, one of my relationships came to an abrupt halt with a guy that I worked with for t- for a very long time. And uh, we split uh, as business partners, and it wasn't the greatest split. One of the other partners said, you know, Rob, um, not every relationship is meant to be lifelong. And so that was one of the biggest nuggets that anybody's ever given me as far as uh, advice goes. So those relationships, um, you know, on every level, I think sometimes we have to remember that some of them are not going to last forever. And that's okay. Right. You had uh, mentioned that there was a book by Jen Sincero called You Are a Badass. And you had, you had said that a friend had recommended the book and it really opened your eyes about opening your eyes. And I was kind of intrigued by that statement. Talk about the book and what you meant by saying that. Yeah, I think that uh, 
Wow, it, it's a powerful book. If you ever get a chance to, uh, if you ever get a chance to check it out. In fact, she's written uh, several in the series, and she's a uh, she's she's a life coach. And so, um, some of the things that she talks about in the book, "You Are a Badass," are things that you've never really thought about, or she just had a a really good way of opening them up. In fact, my son is reading the book right now. And, um, he got to a certain chapter and he said, I'm kind of having a problem dealing with, um, well, there's a chapter called the G word. And she talks about no matter what your belief is, whether it's God or the universe or whatever you happen to believe in, that's what that is. Um, some of us get a little bit, uh, edgy when we're required to use that word. And he hit a wall in the book and I said, trust me, just keep reading. And and you will you'll see what I'm talking about. But it's those kind of eye opening things I think that sometimes uh, um, I, I was able to to read the book and, and look around and go, wow, I really never put that into perspective. And it's and it's all about uh, basically you know dealing with your fears and the lies and and the BS that you tell yourself uh, as an excuse in lots of different areas of your life, whether it's business or relationship or friendships. Right. Um, so I, I guess that's the best description I have of eye-opening uh, experiences after reading Jen Sincero's book. Uh, highly recommend it, though. Well, good. It's, it's funny. I hear from New Yorkers that California people are just all about self-help and New Yorkers just shove it deep down as far as it can go <laughs> and lit it out when they're honking yeah. their horns or driving or yelling across the street. That's a great point because I never really got into those books until I moved back to California. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, to to me, self-discovery has is amazing. And I, you know, and I work with uh, people who, you know, help me work on things that happen as a child. And I always ask myself the question, could I ever imagine going back to being blank years old or, uh, you know, being single again? And it's like, God, I remember what it was like to date. No, I do remember some fond memories as a child, but would I want to go back and repeat things? No, yeah, and, and I would have to totally agree with that. You know, I think, um, first of all, we can't go back to another time. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there's that. But but the other side of the coin is the things that you have gone through in your life have made the determination on what kind of person you are today. And 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 I wouldn't go back to trade that for, for anything, personally. Now, there were a couple health issues that have come up recently. One of those was you had a heart attack about a year ago mm -hmm. and the other was uh, having severe sleep apnea. So how did did these kind of just come up all of a sudden? Did you know there was an issue or, or talk about how your health is, has affected the rest yeah. of your life? Well, this, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the sleep apnea was something that... Um, Apparently, I was causing my pro my wife problems for years and years because I uh, snored uh, really bad. That was one of the side effects of my sleep apnea. Um, and and then after learning about it through the diagnosis with uh, with the doctor, I think that was certainly that was an eye opening situation too. That um, 
I realized what it felt like to actually get rest at night. Uh, because it, in uh, previously, if I went on a drive anywhere, and it didn't matter what time of the day it was, I would feel like I was about to fall asleep constantly. And I dealt with, with these other issues. And um, once I was diagnosed and I started using sleep apnea machine, a CPAP machine, um, it totally changed my life. And um, I've referred I've referred that kind of diagnosis or treatment to a, to a lot of my friends who uh, all of a sudden they went for a sleep study for one reason or another, and, and they knew that I used a CPAP machine. So that was definitely life-changing. The heart attack about a year ago was, um, you know, you, you hear about it, you read about it, and uh, when it hits you, you're, you're not really sure that's what it is sometimes, um, just depending on the uh, severity of, of what it is that you're dealing with. For me, fortunately, I caught it fast enough. I knew what it was soon enough that I was able to get to the hospital quickly uh, they did a, an EKG and immediately, you know, they figured out I was in cardiac arrest. And so they, uh, they flew, I live in a very small town right now. And, and so they got me on a helicopter and flew me out over the, over the mountains into, um, to Medford, Oregon and a, a fantastic health facility there, uh, did the stint. They put a stint in one of my arteries and, um, you know, I, I changed, some eating habits. I changed some exercise habits. Um, dealt with a couple of addictions to tobacco, and things are better. You know, it's almost a year later. My wife calls that date, June twenty first, my second birth date. So, um, yeah, those those two events definitely uh, make you sit up and pay attention for sure. Right, and it's it's interesting how you know when I think when I was talking about self-help and that kind of self-discovery where some people shove it down as deep as far as they can. When there's a health scare, we seem more inclined, at least here in the United States, to take care of our physical health, but not our mental health. Yeah, that's a good point, man. I mean, you know, in fact, I was having this exact conversation with my 30-year-old daughter just last week, who was exactly like I am as far as taking on, or as I was, uh, as taking on, you know, burden after burden after burden, loads of, of uh, responsibility. And I said, you you have to learn how to balance it. I mean, think about it as, as uh, you're a waitress and you have three plates that you're bringing out to the people at one of your tables. And one of those is your work life, one is your family life, and one is your health. And if there's way too much meatloaf on the health plate, you're probably going to drop the other two. So being able to have that balance among all of those things in those three areas is, uh, boy, that's, that's a really big part of how to manage your life. Right. Uh, so I'm wondering what kind of things you like to do when you're not working. I know one of those you fell in love with barbecuing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Barbecue is, is one of my passions for sure. Um, and I spend way too much time working. I mean, honestly, I, th I think that's commonplace with those of us who own our own business, whether it's whether it's voiceover or whether it's, you know, the garage down the street. I think that we that we do that, and so yeah, uh, barbecue. 
uh, fell in love with that. I'm I'm the owner of a big green egg, and uh, if you don't know what that is, look into it. It's one of the most <laughs> it's one of the most awesome ways to cook and smoke meat uh, or anything really. Uh, it's a, a ceramic unit that never wears out, and uh, you can you can make lots of great recipes right. on it. And it looks like a big green egg. I've seen pictures of it. Yeah, it looks like a big green egg. It's it's an unbelievable cooking utensil. Um, it's a Komodo-style cooker, which was basically created in Japan, and it's just a piece of pottery um, that stays hot. It's airtight, and, I mean, everything is just so juicy. You almost can't dry it out if you've ever dried out chicken, for instance, on a regular gas grill or or charcoal, uh, you know, grill. Oh, don't get me so. started on a step-grandmother who... I always thought brisket was just hard. That was the nature of brisket. It wasn't <laughs> until I was an adult that somebody introduced me to, no, this is what it tastes like. And I, oh, yeah. Right. That's all I'm going to say about that, Grandma. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Grandma. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it, you know what, it's, it's one of those joys in life uh that you know cooking for so many people and and eating even just family being together but uh i'm sure you've had those days where you've spent half a day or a full day just preparing a meal yeah in fact this past weekend um unfortunately we'd had a death in the family and so we were uh, we were hosting a memorial service and i was cooking for I don't know how many people we had, uh, you know, around a hundred, I guess. Actually, I didn't know how many were going to show up, which makes it a, a little tougher. So I started a fire in my uh, in my big green egg at about nine or ten o'clock on Friday night, and uh, by the time Saturday came, I had uh, I had smoked three great big pork shoulders and about a probably a twelve pound ham that went along with that, and so. You know, to be able to feed that many people and, and watch the look on their face when they taste it, um, I love that. I just love that. Yeah. And, and again, it's, it's family. It's bringing people together. Even, right. Yes, it's a, it's a sad time, but it's also a, a time of reflection, but also hanging out and being together. So that's awesome. I'm glad I got to ask you about that. Um, also, I want to talk about uh, briefly about your interaction with Benstown. How did you get in with the gang? Who found you? Uh, who lost a bet? Et cetera. Tell me the story. <laughs> that may be the better question is who lost the bet. Um, well, you know, it was uh, it was always my passion to be a radio imaging voice um, for years and years and years. Uh, there, there were so many great idols that that um, inspired me to do that, and so um, in about 2013, I started to craft uh, and work on that. I didn't really ever get a, a radio imaging coach because I had done radio for so long and had been a program director, an operations manager, a general manager, and so um, I, I sent an email one day to uh, to Justin and. Um, he, he listened and he said, well, you know, um, sounds like maybe you need a little bit more work, which I took as, as an inspiration. I went out and, and really 
buckled down and I came back about uh, about a year later and sent my uh, and sent my demos to him and before long you know I, it, we were we were working together and then uh, and then they needed a, a voice on a library and so I was fortunate enough to be able to to do that with Benstown so uh, love the family at Benstown great group of people everywhere yeah and you're the voice of the horsepower library Correct. I, I get the opportunity to work. In fact, I just had uh, done this week's work right before you and I talked, and so I get to work with uh, Scott Phillips, a, an amazing producer, and uh, we have a we have a blast producing the the Horsepower Library. Very cool, Rob. <laughs> thank you so much for uh, speaking with me today. I I hope your first experience was a decent one. Yeah, I had a really great time, and uh, I, I appreciate uh, appreciate you reaching out. It's great to be a part of it. Awesome. I, f- for some reason, I was like, hey, do you want to give us uh, time and traffic where you're at? <laughs> but I'm not going to put you through that. <laughs> Especially traffic. Well, I could, I could give you give you traffic on what the, where the llamas are on the property right now. Oh, would you do um, that? Would you do, uh, would you do time up. and traffic? Yeah, <laughs> yeah sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. You ready? Yeah, go ahead and count yourself down or whatever you need. Five, four, three, two, one. Eight minutes in front of the hour. Traffic, time time travel traffic. <laughs> With our llamas, Lupe the llama and his girlfriend Rosetta, who's brand new to the property. And uh, things look clear, a little congested up around the water tank. But all in all, it looks like we're uh, going to be on time for the day today. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you to this week's guest, Rob Reed. You can find him online at robreedvo.com. Also at Rob Reed VO on Twitter, SoundCloud, YouTube, and more. Benstown Voiceover Stories is a production of Benstown, located in Glendale, California. <laughs>